see everybody this morning. Hey, hey. Man, I thought things could have been different for us, right? It's good to be here. Oh, man. Man, praise and worship. Y'all do it every time. Y'all do it every time. I believe the Spirit of the Lord is here. Thanks for, for uh, adjusting with us to come over here. And um, Although I love this building, I can get used to this, you guys. I'm in the low stage. I, I wanted to get up there, but I didn't want to be tempted to jump off the stage. Um, but uh, I love this. It's like the screen was working. Man, but I, I love it. Good to see you guys this morning. Uh, next week, we'll be back at our, our original place. Is that okay? Y'all can't get too spoiled. Don't come here next week. We're back over there, all right? Um, so, yeah, we are, um, we're still in our series, our Red Letter series, where we're talking about the recorded Red Letter words of Jesus. Y'all know the Bible has red letters in the New Testament, right? And so God placed on my heart to, to uh, read those. And now, if you are short on time and, and you're, you're new here, if you're short on time and you want to read the red letters of Jesus, read the book of Mark. The book of Mark gives you a snapshot of everything that happened in the Gospels, and it's, it's quick, it's short. If you don't have no time, just read those red letters, right? But if you, do, if you have a lot of time on your hands and you want to read the red letters of Jesus, maybe you want to read Matthew, because Matthew talks about everything. He, he even goes back to the Old Testament, and that's why his book is so long, the Gospel of Matthew. But um, so what we've done is we've jumped around in Scripture, as the Lord put on my heart, where to preach. And uh, this week, I adjusted fire a little bit. And um, I have a word for you that I believe that God's going to bless us with. Um, so anyway, for those that are new, I'm Pastor Marshall. Um, I'm glad you guys are here. Um, but sometimes we have to uh, be aware that the things are happening around us. Life is changing around us. And sometimes there are good changes. Sometimes there are bad changes. Right? Um, and Friday was one of those unfortunate bad changes that happened in all our lives. Um, the sad incident that happened um, in the Virginia Beach um, uh, court, municipal court area um, was tragic. And many families and first responders' uh, families were affected. And uh, I felt like the Lord wanted me to adjust a little bit to where we were going. We're still in our red letter series, but, but um, I believe that God has a word for us. Um, this is what I want to ask you. How do we deal with, how do we deal with violence and uncertainties in times like this? Yeah. With all my heart, I believe God's word has an answer for us today. And so we're going to be in John chapter 13, verse 34, 35. Y'all are waiting to put it on the screen, but you can bring the Bible today. You just got to check your boy. So, John chapter 13. If you've been with us since we launched two years ago, um, you know that this is our founding verse. This is the verse that God placed on my heart to build the church off of. John 13, 34, 35. This should be familiar to you guys. Is this familiar? John 13, 34, 35? Oh, you can get your Bible off the tablet, huh? <laughs> How many of you have your Bible today? Somebody may need to share with, with somebody next to you. Or you can just trust me. John 13, 34, 35. This is our founding verse. This is, where, this is where the vision of reignite comes from. To reignite love for God, love for all uh, community, and love for all through service. So John 13, 34, for those hearing it for the first time, it says, A new commandment I give to you. Everybody say new commandment. A new commandment I give 
to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. This is Jesus talking. These are red letters. You also ought to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. You have love one for another. I'll read it again. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people, by this, by this, by love, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one for another. Man, man. So today I want to present to you a red letter commandment. A red letter commandment. I believe Jesus looked ahead and saw that we were going to have difficult times. I believe he looked ahead and he saw that we were going to have um, times where we're going to have to lean on each other. Right. Um, so Jesus was speaking to his disciples during difficult times, church. He was speaking to his disciples during difficult times. And Christianity represented all, all but um, only a small group of society at the time. The Romans um, were, were, the Romans outnumbered Christians in the Roman culture. The Roman Emperor Nero um, had Christians burned alive, and he drugged people through the streets um, for not following Roman culture. Uh, 200 people on crosses were crucified every year. 200. Jesus wasn't the first one. He wasn't the only one. That was a standard thing, that they would put people on, the, on these stakes, and they would put them out in front of the city, and they would strip them down, and they would beat them, and they, and they, would, and they would be just, just humiliate, humiliated and displayed for everybody to see. And that was an annual thing. In a few hours from our, where we started in our text, in a few hours, Jesus is going to be arrested, and he's going to be taken to the cross. And he had just a, a few moments to talk to them about these important words, these red letters. And I want the church, if you only had a few hours to live, what would you say to the people you love? Think about it. That's what's going on in the text. He had a brief, he had a brief window of time. He's about to get called off to the heaven. John 13 opens up talking about the, that Jesus knew his hour had come and that, that he, that the Father had called him back. His assignment was to come to die. And the Father had called him back. And he said, I got a little bit of time and I want to talk to you guys. And he said, a new commandment I give to you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for those who adjusted to come over here to hear your word today. I ask you to comfort us where we we need to be comforted, but challenge us where we need to be challenged, Lord. I've studied, but I need your strength. I've prayed, Lord, but yet I still need your power. What you do for us, what only you can do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus had a few moments of time, and he, he talked to his disciples about this new commandment. And that burdened me so much that we built our church from that, that passage. Jesus' disciples, as he would be arrested, would be scattered and scared. These were difficult times, and we're living in difficult times. Um, on top of that tension with the disciples, with Jesus being taken away from them, they, they, they had a group of people uh, amongst them that didn't always get along. Y'all know that, right? Anytime you have people gathered together, even in a small community, not everybody's going to be on the same page. 
So you had James and John who wanted to sit at the right and left hand of Jesus. You had Peter who was outspoken and would always put his foot in his mouth, but yet he was one of the followers of Jesus. You had Matthew who was a tax collector and everybody hated tax collectors, you know, because they would cheat people. And yet he was called, and, and yet you had Thomas, who was a loner and, and was kind of, you know, did his own thing. He sat off to the side like Steve does over there, um, just messing with you, brother. And um, so you had all these different, you had all these different personalities to add to the tension of the times. All these men with different opinions, and Jesus asked them to lay it all aside, to lay it all aside and love one another. Wow. Wow. I believe we're living in difficult times, too. Today, we have people becoming more disgruntled, and it's doing damage in our society. We, we have active shootings. That, that one, one, one more active shooting is one too many. We have people who, who need to lay aside some issues in our differences, we need to lay aside some issues and learn to lean on each other again, church. Family, can y'all lean on each other? I want to see. Will you turn to the person next to you and will you lean on them? Come on, come on. Everybody, I mean, you may have to get up. You may have to get up, but lean on somebody. Lean back. Lean back. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oh, man. If we can lay aside our issues, we can learn to lean. Um, So what does Jesus do during these difficult times? Jesus gets his disciples' attention. So imagine this radical move. Jesus gathers his disciples in community. It's the Passover season, right? And he gets his, 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 his disciples' attention. He gathers a basin of water, much like this. He gathers gathers a basin. And his disciples are looking like, what are you going to do with that? Because they knew that the basin meant when someone came to the house, any any guest came to the house, especially if you were a dignitary, special, or whatever, if Jesus was a rabbi. No, he's a high priest, right? And his disciples looked at Jesus with the basin of water, and, 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 and he kneels down and begins to wash the disciples' feet. This is the job of the lowest person, the lowest servant in the house. And so Jesus, in these difficult times, Jesus gets the basin of water, and he kneels down, church. He kneels down, he girds himself with a towel, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Now, everybody walked around with their sandals and, their, and, 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 and the rain and the, and the mud and this red clay out there in ancient times. And, and so to wash someone's feet was a nasty, filthy thing. So when Jesus, Jesus grabbed the basin, what he was doing, church family, he was getting their attention. Everybody was like, whoa, why is he doing that? He, he's not supposed to be doing that. But he took the moment in these difficult times to get their attention. And then, and then, only then, when, Ju- when Judas, when he talked about, when he talked about giving, the, giving the bread to the one who would betray him, because everybody had different opinions, Thomas, James, Matthew, Mark, they all had different opinions. Jesus said, now that I got your attention, I'm, I'm giving you conjecture here, this is just my opinion. Jesus, is not, he's saying, now that I got your attention, he said, one of you is going to betray me, I'm going to give bread to him, he's going to dip it. 
but because Judas was the money changer. It's funny how Jesus had him hold the money, and yet he was crooked. <laughs> Just saying. I don't know if I would have done that, Jesus. Um, but he gets their attention. And once he gives the bread to Judas, Judas is dismissed. Jesus tells him, go do what you're going to go do quickly. Go, go, go do what you got to do. Because Judas had an assignment to betray the master. So only when, when Judas is gone and he's out of the room and, 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 the, and the door has closed, Jesus gathers his guys around and he starts in 34, John 13, 34, 35. And he says, guys, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And I showed you this example right here with the, with, the, with the washing of the feet. Love you one another as I have loved you. By this, by this, by this love, by, by this tattoo, by this, by this love, by this haircut. You know the things that identify us? By love, by love. Everybody will know in these difficult times that y'all are different, that you are my disciples. Now, do you know what a disciple is? Church? Family? What is a disciple? A disciple is not somebody who just loves Jesus. A disciple isn't someone who just, you know, uh, is a novice to Christianity, you know, because the Roman culture, it dominated Christianity. It was just a small sect of people. A disciple was someone who was a learner. That means he's a student of whoever he's following. Now, who are you following? A disciple is a student of whoever he is following. He's a learner. He's a pupil. That's what a disciple, that's the definition of a disciple. And so only when Judas is gone out of the way, Jesus turns to them and he says, it, it, it'd be ministry malpractice if I don't give you this. And he gives them these three things. And I want to give them to you today. These three things. He says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. So I give you a command. But the command to love wasn't new. That's what was so crazy about it, you guys. The command to love wasn't new because it goes all the way back to the Old Testament where it talks about love God, right? It goes all the way back to Leviticus 19 where it talks about loving yourself and loving your neighbor as yourself. So it wasn't new. So when I read the text, I was like, well, well Jesus, I mean, I know you're not bipolar. What? A new commandment? And then I, I, I had to use my education a little bit and get some Greek understanding. And in the Greek, it says, new means kindness. It means fresh. So Jesus is saying, guys, I give you a new commandment. The devil is gone. This is gone. I need you to love one another as I have loved you. We need to have a fresh perspective of love going forward after I'm gone. That's what Jesus was saying. A fresh perspective. How many of you need a fresh perspective on what it is to love? When things are tough, when things are hard, I know we don't raise hands, but when things are tough, when things are hard, we need a fresh perspective. And so Jesus, what he was doing, he was giving them a fresh, a new perspective of an old proposal. Because they already knew about love. But Jesus was saying, you've got to be identified now by love. Be identified by it. So, man, what, what, what he was saying was, we don't, we don't comprehend what love does by what love is. We comprehend what love is by what it does. Do, you, uh, do I need to say it again? 
We don't comprehend what love does by what love is. We comprehend what love is by what it does. Y'all know that you can say you love me all day, but if you're slapping me, if you're, if you're, if you're, never, you're never helping me cook, you're never helping me provide, you're, you're never being nice to me, you can say you love me, but if you don't do anything, how do I know you love me? It's just lip service. So the question you should be asking is what love has to do with this, Pastor? It's difficult times. What does love have to do? I feel a Tina Turner anointing coming on here. What's love got to do? Anyway, how many of you know John 3.16? Some of you are brave, some of you not. How many of you know John 3.16 is the most popular scripture? John 3.16. How you doing, Nephi? John 3.16. How many of you know it like this, this is when I, when I went around the country and I was, I was sharing some of this, uh, uh, of what God was going to do in our church. God put me in John 3.16 to see it a different way. And so I challenge people to say, do you know it like God meant it? Because I want you to say John 3.16 with me. All right? We're going to say it together. It's a familiar passage. If you don't, if you don't know it, just do watermelon, watermelon. Act like you're saying it. <laughs> so your neighbor won't think, oh, man, they're ignorant. I'm just kidding. John 3.16. For God. Oh, my church knows it. My <laughs> Oh, let's stop right there. I'll go ahead and read it. Then you guys are ready. You're prepared. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Pastor, why are they stretching out the soul? Why are they saying God so? This is why we're saying God so loved the world. Because a so is not, we're not going to run past the so. We, we usually run past it too quick, Elmer. We, so is the expressed extent of what God has done. So is indescribable. There's no definition for a so. Google it on your phones and look it up. There's no definition for a so. What so does, so accentuates the word that follows the so. <sighs> Maybe you'll understand it like this. How many of you have ever been hungry? How many of you have ever been so hungry? Ah, there's a difference, right? The so accentuates what comes afterwards. How many of you have ever been tired? Now, how many of you have ever been so tired? Oh, that's a big difference. That's a big difference. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, when I, when I was in school, um, I saw girls in high school, when I was in high school, I saw girls that put the F in fine. I mean, I saw girls that was like, fine. And then, before you look at me crazy, then I saw my wife. I saw my wife walking by. And I was out there playing basketball and I'm dribbling and stuff. And I saw my wife who was so fine. And I thought, that so makes the difference. <laughs> I missed my shot. <laughs> oh, God, so, 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 God so loved the world. What does so, what does so do for us when it comes to love? It expresses what God did for us and to the, to the full extent what God has done for us. And Jesus was saying, love is that important. 
We have to understand that it initiated with God. He's the CEO of heaven, the progenitor of all things. Everything starts with God. He so loved the world. Uh, So, I believe love is a moral imperative. When I say it's a moral imperative, I want you to understand love as a moral imperative means that it has to be expressed regardless of the opposition, regardless of the difficulty, regardless of the circumstances, regardless if I feel like it or not, regardless if I'm comfortable, regardless if, the, if it's sunny outside today and we feel like going to the beach, regardless what's going on, regardless how I feel, uh, love must be expressed. It's a moral imperative, church. Love is also the Father's original plan. It's the Father's original plan. And if it's the Father's original plan, I submit to you that everything else in the Bible is all commentary. It's all filler as we equate it to love. Love is the Father's original plan. It starts with love. It begins with love. It will end with love. And everything else in the Bible is just side note stuff. Mm. Mm. Can I go further? We, we understand that John 13, 4 through 8 says, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, love does not boast, love is not arrogant or rude. We, we see love in, in, the, in what we call the chapter of love in, John, in 1 Corinthians 13, and, and we say that, oh, this is how we're supposed to love, but I beg to differ. That's not how we're supposed to love. That's how God, that's expression of how God loves us. And if we are to love like that, church family, we have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, I tell you that all the time in different ways, but we have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And I thank you for doing that with us. You know, sometimes, you know, even at our other facility, we'll rope off sections and I, and I ask you to sit down close and I ask you to sit, you know, near the front because it helps me to see you and look in your eyes. As we build our church building, you know, I'll have a stage probably about this high but it'll be way closer because I like to be close to the people. I like to be able to see you and see your expressions. It helps me when I pray in the week, when I think about your faces. That's why I like to be up on your face. If you're, if you're at a church, if, you, if you're here at our church and you feel offended because I'm in your face, just know it's helping the preacher. It's helping me pray when I picture your face. We have to be comfortable being uncomfortable so that the world around us can identify that something different in tragedy strikes. When difficult times come, there's something different about my friend. There's something different about my friend Beth. There's something different about my friend Eric Shea. Uh, there's something different about them. I need to call them up. There's something different about them, and I need to call them and, and see, you know, what, are, what, what are they thinking about this? You know, maybe they can pray with me. We're supposed to be identifiable. Yeah, as a church. So we see a command. I'm going to move along real quick. Next, we see an example. So first we see a command, love. Then we see an example of love. Uh, Jesus said in the B clause of verse 34, he says, just as I have loved you, you also ought to love one another. Can I, can I submit to you that love doesn't focus on you? focuses on the person beside me. Love doesn't focus on me. It 
focus on those that's next to me. Um, when I was in seminary, my, one of my professors said this. He said that um, orthodoxy proceeds orthopraxy. That big fancy statement means before I can believe, before I can think, uh, do right, I must believe right. Orthodoxy, doctrine, how I think, how you think. Orthodoxy proceeds orthopraxy. So before you can put into practice, you have to have right thinking. And so sometimes what we don't love the way we should, even though we may be uncomfortable in some situations, we are not comfortable, so uncomfortable that we, we act because we're not thinking right. Sometimes we think it's about us. But believing right starts with saturating our mind with the word of God. And once you saturate your mind with the word of God, the word comes up in situations. The word comes up. It comes up and comes out. Again, the goal is to be identified as vessels of God in difficult times. So if we never practice right thinking, all you know is theory of your faith. All you have is a theory of your faith. And that's not going to be good enough. So I thought, let me give them some ways to practice this. How can you have orthopraxy? Pastor, how can I practice what I, what I believe? I believe in your home you can practice it. I believe in the church you can pl- practice it. I believe in the marriage you can practice it. In the home, love is like water. <laughs> I knew I was going to get looks. In the home, love is like water. It doesn't matter how much water you drink today, Ed. Guess what you're going to need tomorrow? More water. So, so in a marriage, love is like water. So you have, to, you have to continually pour in so it can be poured out. You have to continue to pour in so it can be poured out. You can't just say, oh, well, she knows I love her and you know, we're good and, and, and just keep on going with business as usual because that's, that's where a lot of marriages crash because they're not daily thinking that my love is like water. She needs it. He needs it. In a home, love is practiced in private before it can be perfected out in public. Pastor, you can't, perf- you can't perfect what, what you don't practice. If, if, if I were to ask people to pray right now, how many of you would be comfortable praying for the church, for us? Because you're practicing it in private so you can perfect it. And, public. and I told you last week that God doesn't want perfect prayers, church. He doesn't want perfect prayers. He just wants to hear from you. How many of you have children or, or, or young people in your life, nieces, nephews, whatever, and just to have them around is a joy. God wants to hear from you. He doesn't want perfect prayers. He wants pers- want persistent prayers. But we got to practice it in private so we can perfect it in public. In the church, love is like a filter. Love is like a filter in the church. It's, it's, it's like a filter. It, 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 it's, it sifts out on this, on this side. I have feelings. I get in my feelings, and I don't want to do stuff, and, and I'm bothered. I'm agita- agitated and irritated. They're taking too long. He preaches too long. And, and, but on, this, on, on the other side, when I'm interacting with you, love filters through how I feel. And on this side, I'm coming out the way I should come out. I'm projecting the way I should project. I, I should project. Because love is the filter by which everything passes through. Mm, mm, mm. In order for you to display love, it has to be filtered. That's all I'm saying. 
So we see a command, we see an example, and then we see a result of love. Jesus says, by this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If, if, if is that conjunction. Takes me back to when I was a kid. Y'all ever seen those commercials? I used to grow up watching, watching TV with the little cereal bowls. Conjunction. Have y'all, I'm dating myself. Have y'all? Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Okay, okay, all right. Um, by this, all people will know of you, my disciples, if you have love one for another. Um, if is the condition of the directive. If you have it, if you have it, you're commanded to show it. You're expected to display it if you have it. Um, if means you may have to be uncomfortable. It means you may have to delete some of your people off, off your social media. If means you have to stop following some people because it identifies you with them rather than them identifying with you. If means you have to go through your, your phone like I do every, every year and, and you have to delete some contacts because you know they're not good for you. They're not helping you build up that, that, that love quotient that you need. If you have love, love will identify us to the world because love is a distinguishing mark. It's the mark of fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. Yeah. Love is the mark of fellowship. Love is the it factor. It's the it factor. Because you can't show it. Don, you can't show it until you have it. I'll say that again. You can't show it unless you have it. Love is the it factor. It's, it's the... It's the it's the ability to make us one. I thought about this. You know, not everybody can sing. Not everybody can be on stage. Some of you think you can be on stage, but trust me, you can't be on stage. Not everybody. Somebody say, well, I'm <laughs> No. <laughs> um, not everybody can be on stage or should be on stage. Not everybody can preach or should preach. But guess what? All of us can love. And Jesus says in John 17, I think it is somewhere, John 17, 21, Jesus said that, that, that he prays that we become one, that we not be taken out of the world, but we would remain in the world, not taken out of it. That's why when we get saved, when we give our heart to Christ, we're not taken out of the world and, and, and raptured to the, to the master. We're, we're, we're remained in the world. But Jesus said, he prays in John 17, 21, that we remain in the world, but we be kept from the evil one, from Satan. But the goal is for us to become one, is to conflate your life with my life and conflate it together, to bring it together and be one body that identifies that tattoo of love. That's the goal, to display it, to be uncomfortable, to be comfortable enough to be uncomfortable and show it. And so Francis Schaeffer said this, and we're almost done. Francis Schaeffer said this, in his book called The Mark of the Christian, he said that, that love is the final apologetic. And this is what he means. 
when there's authentic, authentic love, there's a reality of oneness in the world. When there's authentic love, people know that something's different about you. Um, but this is the, to, to, to go further to say it's the final apologetic, it, it also means that um, without it, how do people know if Jesus' claims are true? Without love, without it as the final apologetic, how do we know that there was ever a savior that came from the, from the master, that there was ever a son that walked the earth, that ever, that ever came and went to the cross because they look at our lives and sometimes we're not on point and we don't always show what we need to show. But how can we know the final apologetic is love? How, the, the, to be able to argue that Christ came and Christ uh, went and he, and he gave his life and went to the cross, how can you argue that with those that you care about? if they don't ever see it. It's the final apologetic. It argues for us. I'm going to give you this and we're out. We must never forget that Christianity is not about, it's not about comfort. It's about conforming. Would y'all say that with me? Christianity is not about comfort. It's about conformity. It's about us conforming our lives more and more to Christ, to be like Christ. Sometimes you're going to mess up, but next year I hope to be better than I was this year. Amen. Oh, that's the goal. Mm. I, I thought this was amazing that Jesus didn't wait for us to, uh, in the world to, to earn our love, to earn to earn love. He didn't wait for it. The Bible teaches that he went to the cross before we were ready for it. While we were yet sinners, familiar verbiage to some of you, the Bible says that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. Man, that's, that's messed up because sometimes we're in a culture where, you know, I want you to earn it before I give you this money. I, I want to see that you deserve it. Do, do you deserve my kindness? Um, but Jesus didn't operate that way. And sin makes us difficult people to deal with outside of love. I said sin makes us difficult to deal with because we're born this way. We're born sinners. We're, we're born defiled. But that's not, that's not the end of it. Because it doesn't matter how we start. It only matters how we finish. Jesus was a finisher. I said Jesus was a finisher. Yeah, it says in John 13, the same, ver the same chapter we started off in, we read the 34th and 35th verse. We built our church on this, and we're operating this way. It says in verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. Wow. So, so basically, what, what, what started with the basin to get their attention, and, and what started in Virginia Beach with the shooting to get our attention, to get our attention, ends with all of us with the cross. 
Amen. And, and, and I thought, man, this, this, is, this is so good. He loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. Pastor, help me with that. He loved them to the end. Before I go, I need to know, what do you mean? To the end means that, um, that he gave his love by giving his life to the end. It means that, to the end means that a love that was given will never stop. To the end means. It, to the end means that he loved them to the full extent, if you would do the, the Greek um, study on that, it means to the fullest extent he gave his love. And I thought, you know, Jesus was like this. He, he was like this bottle of water. Jesus was, uh, he, he was like this. And we're all vessels unto God. We're all vessels. And, and, and Jesus as a vessel coming as a man and being the son of God, Jesus loved to the end. That means he poured out his love. He poured out his love. To the end. To the end. To the end. To the end. Jesus poured out his love completely for us. And sometimes we want to hold on to what we have. When Jesus says, I'm waiting for you to pour it out to the end. The goal is not to go back to heaven with, with something more inside of you. You're supposed to be broken bread and pour it out like wine for the world to see. That you will pour out love to the end. And I, and, I, and I wonder, I wonder, if love is to be poured out, if love is to be poured out like that to the fullest extent, where does love require you? to show it. Where does love require you to show it? Today. Think about that for a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Our city needs to see love. Our culture requires us to show love. Our homes are endemic of, of love right now. Our times are anemic to his love right now. Jesus said he would start with his little community, with his little community, and it will affect the whole world. And it starts with us. It starts with us. So I wanna, I wanna ask you to pray. Lord, help us, help us to be identified as yours. Help us to give our lives to loving others and to love ourselves better. To not give in to the culture, to the negativity, to the difficult times around us, but yet help us to see, help us to be those that are identified to say that something's different because we're trusting in a Savior, a living Savior. And for those of you who have, have needs while your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I would like to pray with you. If you have a need, if your heart is heavy this morning, would you, would you raise your hand and, as if to say that, you know, Pastor, agreement, pray with me. I see your hands. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to see who we're praying for. Amen, amen, amen. I see you from front to back, from front to back. Can you put your hands down? 
For those of you who know Christ, let me do something different today. For those of you who know Jesus, you made a decision, you made a conscious decision to say, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to be identified as his follower. I'm going to do something different. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, except my grandbaby up here, I want you to raise your hand. If you've made a decision, you know that you've made a decision to follow Christ at some point in your life. Let me see your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Amen. Amen. Don't lie to the master. Don't lie to the... The Lord sees your hand. The Lord sees your hand. You've made a decision. You've made a decision. Okay. Okay. You can put those hands down. For those of you who have, I'm going to give you an opportunity while every head is bowed and every eye is closed and, and we're gone. Repeat after me. Dear Lord, just say to yourself, Dear Lord, I believe in your son. I ask your forgiveness for my sins. Help me through Jesus to show your love. I believe in